this morning, uh, it, it thrills my heart to give him the opportunity to bring the word to you. And I get the opportunity of listening, sitting back. My brother, this, this brother, for many, many years, we traveled on the same circuit at different times. Evangelists don't get to see each other very often. Because we're at our own places and locations. So we'd always hear about each other, hear about each other. Until finally, when we launched Freedom, he was in the area. And I I went down and connected with him. I said, brother, we're we're launching a work we never did before back in 20, gosh, 2011. Early 2011. I said, we're launching a work. I don't know what I'm doing. I love Jesus and I love to preach, but I don't know how to start a church. And he gave me some wonderful advice, and we just prayed together, and we we became such great friends since. And this man is an inspiration. Him and Michelle and the entire family are a blessing. Uh, This family is not here with us this morning in physical, but they're with us in spirit. They're probably online. Hi, Shelly and everybody else. we really wish you were here, but they're they're probably glad they didn't go through the the, the travel that you had yesterday. But uh, man, I don't want to take another moment, but man, this man is such an inspiration to me, an encouragement to me. He's going to be an encouragement to you. Please stand to your feet. Give a wonderful freedom welcome to pastor, friend, evangelist, Jamie Montero, Reverend Doctor. Thank you, my friend. Good morning. Go ahead and keep standing with me. I want you guys to know right off the bat, you have some of the best. And, and I don't mean that in a past tense. Uh, as somebody that tra- has been traveling for 21 years, I had the awesome opportunity of being the National Youth Evangelist for the Assemblies of God, our headquarters. And so I have been t- uh, tightly knit in this group, and I know who's out there and who's been out there preaching the gospel. And when, when, I, when I first started hearing stories about the cruises, I started hearing that they, were, they didn't play. They didn't come to just get an offering. They didn't come to entertain. They came to bring the word. And when I say this, I mean it with everything inside of me. You, you guys are some of the best. And the closer that we've got, especially over the last few months, it's fun. It's fun to hear your hearts. It's fun to get to outside of the, the crustacean of ministry and get to the core of the heart. And uh, man, when I say that you have the best, I mean it with everything inside of me. You have no idea who you have preaching to you on an everyday basis. You're lucky, you're blessed, and uh, man, if, if I were you, I'd fill this building to 10 times overflowing. Make him preach as much as you possibly can because he, he's got it in him. But I want you to do something with me real quick. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to go to that place where decisions are made because God wants to speak something to you this morning. But it sounds, in in all of its craziness, God needs your permission to speak to you. God needs your approval to speak to you because he can speak to somebody right next to you, he can speak to somebody behind you, he can speak to somebody in front of you, but he cannot speak to you unless you're willing to allow him. So I want us to go to that place where decisions are made. And I want us to make our decision. Before we know a title, a text, a topic, I want us to decide right here, right now, on whether or not we want God. Not man, but we want God to speak to us and we want to receive everything that he's saying. So if you're here and you're saying, hey, listen, I'm volunteering, I'm willfully and willingly going to say, God, I want you to speak to me. I want you to raise both hands towards heaven.
And I want you to pray this prayer. It's dangerous, but it's, it's scriptural, so it works. If you're ready for God to speak to you, say this with me. Say, Jesus, today is my day. Speak to me and transform me by your word. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and a mind that's ready, willing, and able to believe and receive every word that you would speak into our existence. We give you full permission and access to do what only you can do. But from this moment on, you have my attention, so have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you. Alicia, you're absolutely amazing. We love your heart. Don't they look amazing? They've lost together 75 pounds. My gosh. My gosh. You know, something that, that, that God put on our hearts two years ago was, I was at a camp, and Tony knows this camp very well. I was in Alabama preaching, and I woke up. One of the things I love doing at camps is calling kids to prayer. And uh, that particular morning, at 6 o'clock in the morning, about 170 kids joined me in prayer. And it was early. And most kids don't even know how to function that early in the morning, let alone pray. So they just do a lot of standing there, yawning. But uh, the Lord spoke to me. He said, he said these words. He said, when are you going to make me the Lord of your body? And I went, what? And it opened up my mind that my physical body was as much as important to him as my spirit was. Isn't it amazing? You're looking at an ex-drug addict, drug dealer. You're looking at somebody that was an alcoholic, somebody that was bound in pornography, suicide, depression. And I, I've given all those things to the Lord, but it was funny that I didn't give him my food addiction. And I was dying and killing myself. And it was funny, and I'd be praying, God, would you, I was passing kidney stones every three to six months, and I was begging God to heal me, and, and I was pre-diabetic, I was high blood pressure, cholesterols were all jacked up, and I'd stand at an altar and ask, and have the nerve, let me say that, not just ask, have the nerve to say, God, heal me. And then, after that altar call, go to the crack addict, or crack dealer, I called Applebee's, <laughs> and would order their appetizers, because they were cheap. And uh, I'd put it right in my veins. And when I dedicated my life to the Lord, I've lost 61 pounds, but I'm going to tell you something that's drawn me closer to the Lord than I've ever been in my entire life. And I want to talk to you not about weight, not about physically a diet. I'm talking about what does it look like? Imagine this for a moment. What would the world look like if we were all in? Let me, let me back that up and say it this way. What could God do with us? Let, what, let, let's just not put it on a, on a corporate or on a worldwide level. What could God do with Freedom Church if we were all in? And I'm not talking about Jamie Montero. I'm not talking about Michelle Montero. I'm not talking about my kids. Us being drawing, you know, we've heard, this, we've heard the, the statement, if you want to see revival, draw a circle, get in the circle, and make sure the circle's full of revival. I'm talking about not just us individually. I'm talking about what would 
God be able to do if we, we were all in? Yesterday I was driving and, and when I, my, my family was supposed to be with me, my bride and my son and Pastor Tony was as kind, he was like, man, bring them. And so we were gonna fly and then just this, the chaos, the chaos. It's, we're not trying to live in fear, but let me explain something. When somebody sneezes now instantly, they are positive in my mind of Corona. <laughs> so you sneeze, I'm casting Corona out of you. Don't you cough on me. I'm telling you, don't you cough on me. I've got my sanitizer. I will squirt you in the eye with it. <laughs> Preachers used to carry holy water. Now they just carry alcohol. <laughs> right? A little dabble, do you? I don't do anointing oil. I'll give you a little cross and you'll smell like eucalyptus and spearmint. <laughs> but... My family was supposed to go with, come with me and, and we started hearing that they're filling planes so full and my, my bride's like, listen, we're, we're germ-phobes by, by nature, but she's like, listen, I am not sitting in a torpedo filled with all those people. So we were gonna drive. We were gonna drive here and that's not a big deal for us. And then my son turned 15 and because of everything going on in the world, he went to the driver's license bureau to get his, 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 uh, uh, what is it? Permit. That's it. How could I forget? I've heard about it for the last 18 years of my life practically. But he went and they said, no, you have to schedule an appointment. And he was ticked. And they, he found the waiting list was two and a half months. So he was really ticked. But we pulled some strings. We knew some people. We prayed. We fasted. And God exposed a friend of ours. And he got us in. But he got him in on the 6th of August to take his test. And so his permit was more important than a move of God and his dad. And so my bride stayed home. I'm just, just going to... just. Just telling the truth, if that's okay. I'm just being honest. I hope, hope you know, you didn't, the, the, the dove didn't fly away. God knows. But I want you to... Bring it back, Jamie. So I came by myself, long story short. And I went through Minneapolis to Detroit, just got stuck in Detroit for a long time, and then came to Harrisburg, and then Noah and the Ark were flying next to me. It was pouring rain last night. But I found something, and here's where I'm going with my message. I was driving in, and I'm not too familiar with this area. Most of the time that I've been here, it's been cold, it's snowing, I've never seen Pennsylvania green, it does exist. But as I was coming in last night, I don't know the area, I don't know the territory, but as I was coming in, it was pouring rain, I was going really slow. And as I was coming in, I saw these bright lights, and I saw flashing lights, and, and as I was driving, I was just like, I wonder what that building is. And as I was driving by, I realized that they were adult bookstores. One was a massage parlor, and then I just saw a truck stop, and I just saw this, this conglomerate of area. And instantly the Lord spoke to me. He said, isn't it crazy in the midst of the storm that the brightest lights that are catching the attention of people that are passing by is not the church, but it's places of destruction that will deceive people and lead them astray. 
Can I just simply say in a world that we live in a world right now that is hurting. The enemy has, has through a pandemic, through, through rage, through racism, through everything, he has learned how to, or he has, he has created uh, areas and opportunities to isolate people through fear and hurt. And fear and hurt, whenever you have somebody that's hurting or afraid, there's anger and hostility and rage that naturally comes out. And we're watching this fall apart. And the problem is, instead of the church being broken, instead of the church knowing that they are the light in the midst of the world, see, you just took up an offering. You just took up a, an opportunity to be generous. And it's not just to pay this lighting bill. It's to pay his lighting bill. It's to let the word go out from this place into all the world. But we found out during this time, the world is not coming to a building. It's time that what's in this building goes out into the world. It's time that we begin to realize that we are dealing with a very hurt, a very lost, a very confused, a very dark world. And people are looking for answers. And the problem is the loudest voices that they're hearing is not the church with the truth. It's not individuals who have had encounters with God. It's people of deception. See, what would it look like if we were all in? It would change things. But the problem is, is we're expecting a pastoral staff, we're expecting leadership to be the ones that are all in. But what would it look like if teachers and construction workers and police officers and military, I'm talking about home, stay-at-home moms, I'm talking about lawyers and doctors, I'm talking about every one of us did what God created us to do. And maybe we'll never stand behind a pulpit, maybe we'll never have a microphone in our hand, but our life has got to say something. What would it look like if we were all in? Let me just kind of share this quick story. Over 150 years ago, a man by the name of Henry Varley said these words, the Lord is yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Let me say it again. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is holy or fully and wholly consecrated to him. A young man by the name of D.L. Moody heard those words and determined in his heart that he would be that man. He gave himself fully to the will of God for his life, and the Lord used him to shake two countenances for Jesus. Moody preached to millions of people during his ministry, and many hundreds of thousands of people came to know Jesus as their Savior because he volunteered to be all in. If one man can have that much impact, imagine what God can do with 17 of us. Now, Pastor Tony, I know that there's more than 17 here, but I'm just going to ask that 17 come forth today. Maybe more, but at least 17, because I don't know how many people live in this region or in this city or in this county, but I would say maybe there's got to be over 25,000 around, maybe. And I believe with everything inside, and I'm going to show you through scriptural Calculations that 17, 000, or 17 people can reach and rescue between 20 and 25,000. Imagine if everybody in this room, what they could do. Flipping with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> That's not corona. <clears throat> That's asthma. 
Just saying. I'm far enough away. I coughed into my handkerchief. Over 150 years ago, a man gave a word. And my prayer is that that same word has the same net or net ability today. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Mark 12, 41 through 44. And then we're going to read in Mark chapter 5 and then Mark chapter 6. Because there is a thread that is laced throughout the book of Mark. And that thread, have you ever had that one, that shirt or that thing that there's that one thread that you pull and as you pull it, it, the whole thing comes unraveled? (laughs) That thread that is laced throughout the book of Mark is called giving. Now watch this. Mark 12, verses 41 through 44, it says, Jesus sat down opposite of the place where the offerings were being put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many people, notice these words, threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the temple treasury than all the others. He didn't compare her to individuals. It said a lot of them, a lot of rich people came in. He didn't say, well, she gave more than he did. He said she gave more than all of them. He said she put more into the temple treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, out of her lack, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Let's read. Mark 5, 1 through 6, says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. And when they had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling amongst the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been, sh- been shackled and bound by chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When Jesus saw him from afar, he ran and he worshipped him. Now one more set of scriptures. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verses 35 through 44. It says, by this time it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go out to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he answered, no, you give them something to eat. They said that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go out and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking them, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up towards heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish amongst them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basket full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten that day was about 5,000. Now I want to stop for a moment. Theologians have proven that this was not just a group of men, but they only counted the men. With every man, there was probably at least a woman and then a few children, and so they calculated between 20 and 25,000 people were in attendance. Do you think the men were the only ones that ate? No. So therefore... 
Out of five loaves and two fish, Jesus fed between 20 and 25,000 people. So let me say it this way. Between 20 and 25,000 people's lives were impacted by this account. And we look at it as if Jesus, now please hear me, Jesus is the way. Jesus is, is the one that changes lives. He's the one that heals. He's the one, but he's looking for distributors. He sat, there's, if there's 20 to 25,000 people and they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, that tells me that the disciples didn't just simply go up to all these different groups, but the disciples found distributors and those distributors found distributors. Or it would have been days in trying to get people fed. They worked corporately. They realized that they could not do it themselves, so they empowered other people to help them. And all together, they served and impacted between 20 and 25,000 people. See, when I say the word give, what comes to your mind? Money, correct? But let me today... I want to try and change your perspective on giving. I want to place before you each an idea that I'm going to ask you to not just consider, but to either embrace as, or completely disregard. And that is simply this. Your entire life's success will be determined by whether or not you are a giver. Let me say that again. Your entire life's success will be determined by whether or not you're a giver. Go through it. Marriage. Any, a marriage begins to fall apart when one of the two begins to think it's about what they need and what they want and what they deserve instead of what they can do and what they can give. Raising kids. It's not about giving our kids the, next, the, next, the, the latest technology or the newest shoes. It is about giving them our time, attention, our praise, our adoration. In our, we don't climb the corporate ladder until we give everything we've got. We can't climb in education until we give it everything we got. But we're still trying to barter with God and see how little we have to give Him. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about money at all today, but if 100% of our life is God's, why are we still arguing about 10%? It's because we're still trying to figure out how much do I truly have to give in order to get all. We want all, but we're not willing to give all. So let me just define the word give. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines it as this. Give to re means to relinquish or control. A relinquish control, to exchange ownership or to let go. Let me say it again. To relinquish control, exchange ownership or to let go. So what is a giver? A giver is one who transfers from one's authority or custody to another as their possession. It's no longer mine. It's now theirs that I gave it to. So let me give you this quick poem. It's called It Depends on Whose Hands It's In. I changed it a little bit because I wanted to make it a little bit more modern, but here's, it, here's how it goes. <clears throat> Pastor Tony, a basketball in my hands is worth about $30, but the same basketball put in the hands of a man by the name of LeBron James is now worth about $90 million because it depends on whose hands it's in. It depends on what they can do with what's in their hand. A football in my hands it creates nothing of excitement, but taking the same football and putting it in the hands of a man by the name of Peyton Manning created one of the all-time greatest quarterbacks. Because it depends on whose hands it's in. See, a paintbrush in my hands is useless. But a paintbrush in the hands of Picasso created masterpieces that sold for millions of dollars. Because it depends on whose hands it's in. Let's talk scripture. A rod in my hands is nothing more than a stick, but taking the same rod and putting it in the hands of a man by the name of Moses 
parted a mighty sea because it depends on whose hands it's in. A slingshot in my hands is dangerous, but taking a slingshot and putting it in the hands of a 17-year-old kid anointed to be king slaughtered a giant and led to a victory. Because it depends on whose hands it's in. Let's talk about Jesus. Two fish and five loaves in my hands might make a couple of fish sandwiches, but two fish and five loaves in the hands of, of Jesus fed over 5,000 men because it depends on whose hands it's in. See, dirt and spit in my hands is disgusting, but dirt and spit in the hands of, 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 of Christ put upon a blind man's eyes cause a blind man to see because it depends on whose hands it's in. Let me just give you one more. Two nails stuck in my hands, stuck to that wall, creates a disgusting coat hanger. But two nails stuck in the hands of, of, of our Savior created salvation to everyone who would ask because it depends on whose hands it's in. So let me ask you a question, church. Whose hands is your life in? Whose hands is your ability? Whose, uh, whose hands is your talents? Whose hands is your dream? Whose hands is your future? Whose hands is your, is your family? Because you can only do so much with your hands. But imagine what, you, what God could do if everything that he's placed in your hands was then placed in his hands. God's looking for a church that will be all in. See, so let me give you a couple of rules of giving real quick. Number one, the first rule of giving is this. You can only give what you have to give. You cannot give something that you do not have. The second rule of giving, you will only give what you're willing to lose. If you're not willing to go without it, you will never release it. If you're not willing to go without it, you'll never give it. So the first rule is you can only give what you have to give. The second rule is you will only give what you're willing to lose. The third rule is this, you, will only give, you can only give away something once. Why? Because once you give it, you relinquish control, you exchange ownership, it's no longer yours. So let me ask you a question, church. If that's the case, how many times do we got to keep on coming down to the same altar to give the same sin, the same sicknesses, the same lives? The problem is, is we don't cut the string. When I was a kid, I, I just always was looking for a quick way to make a buck. So I found out you could get a brand new dollar bill, punch a hole, put some fishing line, and put it into these candy machines and hold the string. And right before it disappeared, you could pull the string back and you empty the candy machine out for a buck. But I was giving the, 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 the machine what it really wanted. It said everything a dollar. So I took everything and right before the very last thing, I would cut the string and let the dollar go. Because I'm a giver. You're laughing at me, but how many times have you come to this altar and said, God, here's my marriage, and then you walk out and you still have the string? God, here's my sin. God, here's my life. God, and you walk out and you still got the string. All in means you cut the string, you let go. It's not about what you lose, it's about what you gain. So let me just give you in just the next couple of moments. I see three important truths about giving in the story of the widow. See, that's where we start out. The first, the, the first truth I see is God values our giving differently than men do. In God's eyes, the value of the gift is not validated by the volume of what is given. What moves the heart of God is not the level of our generosity, but instead the depth of our surrender and our sacrifice. Notice that Jesus did not say that she put in more than any of the others. He said she put more than all of them. Why? Even though they were giving large amounts, they were not giving him at all. And this little widow came and she gave Pastor Tony these two coins that were worthless. 
That's what Jesus said. He said she gave two coins that were worth less than a penny. They were worthless. But I've found out what's worthless in your hands is priceless in his hands. And what you seem, what, what the world will classify as invaluable, God will say, wait a second, that's more valuable than what you know. But I can do nothing until it's in my hands. See, God values our giving differently than men do. Number two, our attitude in giving is what is most important to God. Jesus watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury and he saw how they gave. Jesus is more interested and impressed by how we give than what we give. Well, how did they give? How did they give? It says rich people came and they what? They threw. You know what I found out? I found out two things. It exposes two things about these people, these rich people, by how they gave. The first thing is it exposes, because let me explain something. Think about the most valuable thing you have. Would you throw it? No, because it was valuable to you, and if you throw it, it might be damaged. So you don't throw things that you care about. So therefore, it exposes that what they were giving didn't matter to them. It wasn't going to hurt them. It wasn't going to cost them something. It was about attention. It was about what other people could say. So you don't throw things that matter to you. But let me ask you another question. Think about the most valuable person you have in your life. Would you throw something at it? Would you throw something at them? So therefore, what they gave meant nothing to them and what they gave to meant nothing to them. When I asked my bride to marry me, I didn't throw my ring at her and say, if it's God, it's going to land on your finger. <laughs> like, just stand there and put your finger out. If it's God, will you marry me? <laughs> Let me explain something. How many of you women would, would say no if somebody threw their the wedding ring at you? Y'all are liars. We're given an altar call for liars because it depends on how big that carrot is. <laughs> You'd catch it and make it, God. But God's not like that. God's not impressed by how much it cost. God cares about how much he's worth in your eyes. See, number three is this. God cares about how much we give. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, when it comes to our giving, men sees what is given, but God sees what's left. And by that, he measures the gift and the condition of the heart. A lot of times we, we hold back what we think we need. God's not interested in what we don't have and what we can't do, but what we do have partnered with what he is able to do. Now watch this. This is where we just kind of break into this for just a couple of moments. And I'm going to get this right back to Pastor Tony. We're going to get into these altars. We're going to pray. But watch this. Because we read Matthew chapter 5 and we read about this giving and we go, what does that have to do? That has a lot to do with who was in the room who was near Jesus at that time. And the reason I say that is because in Matthew chapter 12, when this widow's giving, he's letting his disciples know, listen, what you give matters. And the reason being is because they had just walked away from a situation in Mark chapter 10 where a rich young ruler comes running after Jesus and Jesus sees him and this guy comes up to him and he says, what do I have to do to inherit, G uh, inherit heaven as my home? 
He calls Jesus good teacher. He says, good teacher, what do I have to do to experience eternal life? And Jesus is trying to tell him. And he puts out his hand and he basically says, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. He's answering his question. You want to get to heaven? You want to experience heaven as your home? You want eternity with God? Why do you call me good except for God is good alone? He's trying to introduce himself. I'm God. It's through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the door. He's trying to introduce himself. He says, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. And all of a sudden, he sees that the kid is blind, and he says, well, you know the rules. You honor your father and mother. You don't murder. You don't kill. And all of a sudden, the guy gets a smile on his face. And he says, all the rules I've kept since I was a kid. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. I'm gonna make a very bold statement, Pastor Tony, and I promise promise this is not hypocrisy. I believe there were 13 apostles called, one of them said no. This is the same call that Jesus said, leave your boats and come follow me to Peter, James, John, and Andrew. The same call that he said to Matthew said, leave your, tax, your father's tax booth and come follow me. He said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And the rich young ruler's head fell because he knew he had too much to give. See, we tell the story about how Jesus changed the world with the 12 apostles. What could have Jesus have done with the 13th apostle? What could he have done if that man would have said yes instead of no? But then all of a sudden we read, Jesus is trying to show him, listen, it's not about how much you think you're worth. It's not about a physical price. It is about obedience. It is about dedicating everything that you are to me and allowing me to use your life, whether you feel like it or not, whether you agree with people or not, whether people see value in you or not. I can use you. I can change the world with you. But it starts with your dedication and your surrender. So all of a sudden... Jesus is teaching, watch this. It's going to go quick, so stick with me. Jesus is teaching in Mark chapter 4. He's talking about sowing. He says no farmer sows on accident. It's depending not about the seed. It's not depending about the outcome. It's depending on where you sow it and where that seed finds soil. Because if it falls on the rock, if it falls on the road, if it falls on the thorns, it's not going to produce anything. But if it falls on good soil, it's going to produce a great harvest. Then he goes on and says this craziness like this. Nobody lights a lamp and then hides it. Everything's done on purpose. Watch this. All of a sudden, Jesus goes, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. Why did Jesus get in the boat? What did he hear that other, the other disciples were just like, well, Jesus just wants to go. So, no, Jesus heard something. What did he hear? It says that this demoniac was in the mountains. He was, the city couldn't, they couldn't control him. So they sent him out to the cemetery to die or dis- just disappear. They put him on the other side of squealing pigs. They would rather hear squealing pigs than a hurting man that they couldn't help. So they send him out to the cemetery to just die and disappear. This man is alone. He's isolated. You talk about social distancing at its best. He is the plague. And all of a sudden, Jesus hears this man who's in the mountains cutting himself and crying out. And as he's cutting himself and he's crying out, 
He's probably not saying, Jesus, save me. He's not probably saying, Jesus, help me. He's saying, can anybody help me? Can anybody hear me? Is there anybody out there? I'm tired of hurting. I'm tired of being alone. And Jesus hears and he gets in the disciples and he gets in a boat. One savior, 12 apostles get in a boat and they go and they go through this storm, right? And as they're going through this storm, Jesus, the, he's asleep, right? Because he's most comfortable when we're most uncomfortable. Because he knows he doesn't lie. He said, let's go to the other side. The disciples forgot. He said, let's go to the other side. They thought they were going to sink because of what they were going through. Huh, sound familiar? He said, I've got, I've got somewhere i got to be. And the apostles come to Jesus. And they wake him up. And Jesus stands up and he says, you have little faith. And he says, peace be still. Now watch this for a moment. It says the wind and the waves stop. And the apostles look at each other and they say, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Let me ask you this question. When, when did the wind and waves start obeying Jesus? When they stopped or maybe when they started? Because let me explain something. There was no GPS. There was no motors. There was no, he had to, there was only one little cove that he had to get to in order to evade and I can't go in for time's sake but he would have been they would have been smashed against cliffs but there was this one cove to this day where he had to turn 262 degrees to get the boat into this little cove to go rescue one human being that was hurting that the world had thrown away that saw no value in him so when did the wind and the waves start obeying him I believe that the wind and the waves started obeying him when he began to direct him saying he I got to go over here he went to sleep and the window waves were obeying him and they positioned the boat see we are going through storms in our lives that are not God led to destroy us but they're God led to position us and direct us but we need to wake him up and I'm not saying that Jesus slumbering I'm saying we need to wake up the call and the voice of God and we need to say God we need you like never before we're here we're here and there's somebody hurting and there's somebody that needs help. And Jesus stood up and he said, peace be still. Let me explain something. He wasn't talking to the wind and the waves. I believe he was talking to demonic forces of evil in that region. And he was letting them know, I am here. And all of a sudden, the disciples, they get out on the boat. This hurting man comes running up to him. No longer he's possessed, but he's no longer controlled by them because in the presence of God, the enemy loses his authority. And all of a sudden he falls on his knees and he, Jesus casts out the demons and long story short, the people of the city that sent, they couldn't control this man. But it says that Jesus didn't come to tame him. He came to set him free and the people begged Jesus to leave. And so Jesus, one savior with 12 disciples get in a boat. And they beg Jesus to leave. And a demoniac tries to get back in the boat with him to go. Watch this. And Jesus says, no, I need you to go back to Decapolis. I need you to go back to the people that hurt you. I need you to go back to your friends and your family. The people that sent you away and said you were worthless. I need you to go show them what God's done for you. And let them know I'm coming again. And so he goes. Jesus in Mark, in, in Mark chapter 5, he goes to his hometown. He gets rejected there. 
He sends out the disciples two by two. They do amazing works. And Jesus says, do not marvel that demons are subject to my name or that healings happen, but marvel that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. They're hungry. They've been fasting for weeks and they're tired. And Jesus says, let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go on a little vacation. Let's go on a little time of rest. And so they get Jesus and they get in this boat and they go back to the exact place where the demoniac had been set free just months before. But this time they don't find it with a hurting man. They find it with thousands of hurting people and hungry people. Jesus gets out and he begins to teach. And this is where I'm beginning to close right here. I'm done right here. Jesus gets to teach and all of a sudden the disciples are hearing their own stomachs growling. They're seeing their own needs. They haven't eaten for weeks. And they said, Jesus, send the people away. It's late. They're hungry as their stomachs were growling. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have nothing. And in the midst of them saying we have nothing, a little boy evidently said, hey, listen, I've got this sack lunch. I've got this little lunchable. I've got this happy meal. And it's, it's, it's enough for everybody. Because if you've ever seen a little kid with more than enough for them, my son used to believe that one bag of Skittles could feed the entire world. Because it was so much for him. He said, I have too much. Five loaves and two fish. You can have it. How many other lunches were there? How many other people had something to eat, but they didn't offer it? But a little boy full of faith, but also with a generous spirit who was taught to share, to give what he had, that he was there not to just just spectate, but to participate. He said, I've got a lunch. And Jesus, this disciple looks at him and he says, how can something so small do so much? And he brings it to Jesus. And Jesus says these things. He says, perfect. He sits them down, and this is where I've just got to go. See, we know that a small boy gave a sack lunch to Jesus, but the miracle did not start in a field. Instead, it started in a kitchen. It began with a woman that was simply serving her family by preparing a lunch for her son. She hands her son a lunch that was more than adequate to feed him, but never knowing that God was using her concern for her loved ones to nourish his loved ones. The boy takes a sack lunch to go and hear and see this Jesus. And what started out an ordinary day became an extraordinary opportunity. Jesus used a woman and a boy that gave what they had to do a miracle all because of their willingness to give. So, in closing, let me give you these quick thoughts. Number one, what you have matters, but what you're willing to give is what changes things. What you have matters, but what you give is what changes things. It's two fish and five five loaves in your hands, but it's something more in God's hands. Point number two is God cannot multiply things in our lives until those things are in his hands. Number three, in order for anything to be multiplied, it first must be blessed and then broken. We We live in the most blessed nation in the world, but we are not the most broken. Last night as I was driving Pastor Tony, I pulled over and there's a, and, and you may know, I, I don't, there was a truck stop right by all those lights. I pulled over. I began to weep. Because as I was driving by, I noticed that there was cars in those parking lots of those places. And I realized that those were fathers and those were mothers and those are daughters and those are sons of people that are dying. And I began to get broken and I said, God, break me. 
break me. I'm not the only one that deserves to be set free. I'm not the only one that deserves the blessing of knowing you. God, would you begin to reach them? God, would you begin to save them? See, in order for anything to be multiplied, it first has to be blessed, but then broken. When was the last time, church? When was the last time, man? When was the last time, woman of God, that God broke you at an altar where you weren't worried about what time it was? You weren't worried about who was singing. You weren't worried about lights. You weren't worried about a pot roast. You weren't worried about a game. You were worried about your heart and your soul being broken for those that were around you. That's revival. Revival isn't so that we fall on the floor. It's not about shaking. It is not about getting up speaking in tongues. It is not about being blessed. It's not about feeling good. It's not about being refreshed. It is about being broken. It is about God laying you on the altar and letting you feel what he feels so that he can let you go where he goes. See, God, last thought is this. God often uses what man doesn't even acknowledge to do the miraculous. You know what's crazy is why were the men counted and not the women? Because the miracle came from the men or not from the men, but from the women. I'm going to step down because I got a prophetic word for this church. We keep on thinking that the miracles come coming from the stage. If God's shown you anything during the last four months, he's showing you he's not looking for superheroes that can preach words. He's looking for people that will begin to love hurting people all over the globe. They've been isolated into homes. They've been isolated into into corridors, into neighborhoods. They've been sat down in groups of fifties and hundreds. And it's not your pastor's responsibility. It's not your youth pastors, your children's pastors. It's your responsibility because you know why? You have something to give. And woman of God, it may feel worthless. You've been questioning things that you've been laying. There's prayers that you don't even know how to volumize anymore. It's almost like these these words come out silently. Laying in bed wondering when God's given you dreams. He's given you promises. He's given you a sleep disorder called prayer. You wake up broken. You go to bed broken. You dream about you keep on saying, God, I can't. God, it, that's, I don't have much to give. I don't have much to give. God's not looking for someone that realizes that they have a whole lot to give. He's looking for someone that realizes that what they have is worth sharing. Seventeen people, seventeen people, seventeen people. 
See, if we want to go deep, and I apologize about the time, but I have to do this. If we want to go deep this week, we have to disengage from the feeding tube of this world, the fear that they're pumping into us, the isolation, the rage, the hurt. We've been fed with it. And it's made us full. And we need to walk to an altar and say, God, God, if you can use an ex-drug addict, if you can use someone that has scars on their body because they were self-inflicting harm, God, if you can use a divorcee, if you can use an adulterer, if you can use me, God, if you can use me, I may not be much. things you've been praying for, woman of God. There's people you've been fighting for. The enemy's saying it's not worth much. See, here's the crazy thing. It didn't start in a field with a little boy that gave a sack lunch. It didn't start in a kitchen with a woman that made a sack lunch. It, where did, who told the woman that Jesus was coming. Who told the woman, he's coming again and you've got to meet him. It was a demoniac whose arms were full of scars. It was a demoniac that the world threw away. He went back, but watch this for a moment. I said 17 people Savior got in a boat because he heard the call. He heard the cry of a hurting. And he brought 12 people, distributors. And he said, you've got you to be willing to give everything. And 13 people get in a boat and they go through the storm to go rescue one human being because God found value in a man that was crying out. And that one man got radically saved. That one man got radically set free. And Jesus sends him out to go tell other hurting people about him. And that one man goes, finds a lot of people, but evidently he found this one woman and he told her about Jesus and you've got to be there to meet him. And she was so excited, but she didn't want her, she knew that, that they had been waiting a long time and they didn't, she didn't want her family going hungry. So she packed a sack lunch for her child and her and her child went to this field to see and hear this Jesus. So you have one savior, 12 apostles, one demoniac, a mom and a boy that got to this field, 16 people. And the little boy says, you can have my bread. It's not worth much, but God in your hands, it's worth something great. And Jesus used 16 people to reach and rescue between 20 and 25,000. But I said there were 17 right you remind me of the 17 I saw you walk up earlier and I just there's something about you and I, I don't know if this is weird or not but you're like a silent assassin you hide in the shadows and the anointing's all over you here's my question for you 
who gave Jesus the boat that he needed to get there. Somebody, we don't even know his name. He wasn't into recognition. He didn't need a trophy. He didn't need an applause from the crowd. He was willing to be faithful and to serve even if he got no attention for it. Hell trembles when you wake up in the morning because you shouldn't even be here. How many times did God have to do spiritual CPR to you and breathe life into you, Monty? There's a call of God all over you. Here we go. 17 people. You know who I want to meet when I get to heaven? The one who gave Jesus a boat that came and rescued an old drug addict, an old drug dealer named Jamie Montera. Because if somebody else wouldn't have paid the price, if somebody else wouldn't have given me everything that they had, I would have never have got saved. I would have slit my wrist a little bit. If I was just a quarter inch deeper, I would be dead. But somebody paid the price, church. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to stand up with me all over this place. going to do something before Pastor Tony comes back up here. We're going to take up a quick offering and this isn't about a basket. This isn't about ushers. This is about what we place in the hands of God. I said, what could God do in this area if he only had 17 people? I believe that there's prayers that have been offered up for this place well before a building was ever established or a church was ever started. I believe that there's been people that are praying hundreds of years, crying out in this very area, saying, God, pour out your spirit here. Did you realize that you're the answer to prayer? But here's what we're going to do all over this place. I want you to close your eyes. is everything, not just your sin. Jesus didn't die to get your sin. He died to get your life. He can't do something with your sin. He can do something with your life though. Is everything in your life in his hands? Your marriage, your family, your career, your future, your passion, your heart. How about your forgiveness? How about your hurt? How about your pain? How about your fear? Is it in the hands of the one that actually can do something to change? If not, we're about to give you an opportunity. Maybe that means you dedicate your life to the Lord. Maybe that means that you rededicate your life. Maybe that's just simply saying, God, me and my family, everything in our house is now yours. If you're here and you're willing to say, I'm all in. I want to give everything I have, my past, my present, and my future, I want to give it to God. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to just come down to this altar. We can socially space. We can socially distance. If you're not comfortable, you can stay in your seat and say, God, here's my life. Here's everything. But on the count of three, I'm going to ask us to all begin to move 
into a place where we can place things in our lives into his hands. If that means physically moving to this altar or if it just means emotionally, spiritually saying, God, here it is. I'm going to count to three and I want you to begin to move. One. Two. Three. All over this place, if you're willing to say, God, Here's everything I have. Here's everything I am. Here's my family. Here's my marriage. Here's my past. Here's my hurt. Here's my addiction. Here's my confusion. God, here's my fear. Here's my sickness. As you get to that place, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, I want you to begin to close your eyes. And I want you to picture in your, in your mind, in your imagination, God's hands out. And what's in your life is like that little boy's sack lunch. Maybe it's some hurt. Maybe it's some unforgiveness. Maybe it's some addictions. Maybe it's some things. Maybe it's some confusion. Maybe it's some fear. I don't know what's in your sack lunch, but this is where you begin to say, God, here it is. Here's my hopes. Here's my dreams. I'm placing it in your hands, God. I give you everything I have. I give you everything I have. I give you everything I have. Come on, church. This isn't about volume. This is about depth today. I don't need you screaming. I need you submitting. Surrendering. Father, you see. You see. More than 17 people that fill this building. More than 17 people that fill this altar. And if God, you can change a region, if you can change 20 to 25,000 people's lives because of a little boy, because of a mom, because of an ex-demoniac, because 12 believers, because of you, Lord, because of one person that surrendered his boat. God, what can you do with this house in this city amongst these people? God, I pray that you would begin to feel them so full of you right now. Somebody's going to get flooded with joy right now. Somebody's been struggling with anxiety and fear and God, I pray that your peace and your joy would begin to flood them right now. I pray that you would begin to overwhelm them. I pray that you would begin to overtake them, God. God, have your way right now. Have your way, have your way, have your way, have your way. Jesus, right now, Father. you need to surrender your life to Jesus just right here right where you're at just begin to say God everything I have and everything I am things I regret and things God that I wish I never did I lay them at your feet I ask you to forgive me I ask you to cleanse me I ask you to be my Lord and Savior God that your blanket of your presence would overwhelm her right now you have. 
Use what's in your hands. Use what's in your hands. Use what's in your hands, God. Raise up a, a prophet in this hour. God, let, his, well, let him wake up knowing more about you because he spent the night in your presence, Jesus. Let him know your voice. Let him know your face. Let him know your touch. Church, say this with me. Everything I have, everything I am, is yours. God, flood them with peace right now. Overwhelm them, overwhelm them, overwhelm them, overwhelm them. Y'all feel that peace. You feel that serenity. You feel that. Induce them with joy and love right now. But I pray, Father, as we move forward in this week, I pray that you would begin to break us with the things that break your heart. I pray, Father, that each and every one of us would be placed on assignment. God, with vision, bold vision, with an agenda of heaven, oh God, to destroy the darkness. And to be that man, to be that woman who is fully and wholly consecrated to you, that you can move through, you can move in, you can move with, and you can move on. God, I pray that you would heal bodies. I pray that you would fill people with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I pray that this place would be filled with repentance and salvation and forgiveness. I pray that, God, this would be a healing center. That it would live up to its name and be a house of freedom. That marriages are free. Homes are free. Bodies are free. Lives are free. And because of this house, God, a city gets free. In Jesus' name. Pastor Tony. As I was thinking, Brother Jamie was preaching, I was thinking that that mother that was preparing that lunch for that kid. She didn't know what she was preparing. I never thought about it like that. I, I never thought about those people he mentioned. I never thought about the person that gave the boat. I never thought about that. But I was thinking about the mother who prepared the lunch for the kid. Maybe he prepared his own lunch. I don't know. But I know this. They didn't know what they were preparing. They had no idea what they were preparing. They were preparing to feed the masses. And they didn't even know it. What don't you know? What don't you know that God is preparing you for right now? What don't you know? That right there is worth seeking. That right there is worth finding out. That right there is worth the price of the seed. Friends, God is.
is raising up the church right now like never before. We moved in four months. We moved five years in media and technology. The church is not just freedom. We did. But other churches because we realize there's a globe to reach. The church shot and skyrocketed into levels they never seen before. We are right now at the cusp of the greatest move of God your lifetime has ever seen. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of it. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of it. I don't know about you, but I want in. I want all in. Come on, lift your hands one more time all across this room. Father, we are all in. Count us. Come on, somebody say this. Say, count us. We want in. What do I have to do, Jesus? What do I have to do? Lord, we give you our lives today in a way that we've not done so in a long time. Thank you for my brother. Thank you for the word. Thank you for your word that brings life more abundantly. We are all in, Jesus. Help us to satisfy your kingdom's sake. And let us never quench the move of your Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name I pray.